Welcome to the Naturally Nourished Podcast that delivers cutting-edge food as medicine solutions for optimal health. Allie Miller is a nutrition expert sought up by the media and America's top medical institutes for her revolutionary functional medicine interventions. From disease treatment to prevention, every episode will empower you with ways to put yourself back in control of your health. Please note, the topics discussed are for educational purposes only. Now welcome, Integrative Dietitians Allie Miller and her co-host Becky Yu. Welcome, everyone, to episode 99 of the Naturally Nourished podcast. Ah, <laughs> we're so excited <laughs> that we're bringing in sound effects today. Um, yeah, I think that's the only one I got. I don't have anything up my sleeve. Yeah, yeah we promise we won't, we won't uh, break your ears with all kinds of funny sounds. But <laughs> okay, that's it. <laughs> oh my gosh, you guys, we're, we're recording on a new platform called Zencaster. So hopefully the audio sounds better. And it, I think we're working on yes, it. Yes. <laughs> and it also comes with all these fun sound effects. So we're just kind of playing. Let us know how it sounds when you hear this episode. Um, so yes. today we're about a week out from the launch of our virtual food as medicine keto program. And I think this is just perfect timing for today's episode on ketosis as medicine. So we've done a lot of episodes in the past where we've referenced keto and some specifically on keto as a topic, uh, but we've gotten requests to go deeper into some of the therapeutic applications. So I'm really excited to get into today, just beyond weight loss, how keto can work for diabetes and obesity, neurological conditions, cancer, and beyond. Absolutely. And within our food as medicine virtual 12-week ketosis program, I always try to share the hashtag keto as medicine. And, and in fact, that's what we use in our contests when we're picking our weekly winners of uh, people that are posting their meals or therapeutic changes and whatnot. And it really is a concept that I believe so strongly in the role of this metabolic shift in your body, this change of converting your body into using ketones as fuel as a hybrid machine and keeping your glucose levels regulated, I really find that you get medicinal and therapeutic outcomes for whole body health. So today we're going to get a little bit nerdy and definitely talk about some up-to-date research. We're going to talk about the mechanisms of ketones and then five focused disease states in which keto could take your body to the next level of optimal health. Yes. And I think it's so cool because a lot of people do find keto, you know, looking for weight loss and they don't expect to have all of these other therapeutic benefits. Um, and in fact, weight loss almost becomes like the pleasant side effect, like you say, Allie, of yes. all of these other shifts and, and, you know, correcting underlying imbalance in the body that maybe was leading to excess weight in the first place. Totally. And, and so when we use keto as medicine, we are talking about taking things anti-inflammatory. In our program, we actually empower our participants to learn about the role of the HPA access and the impact of adrenal fatigue or hypothyroidism. We teach them about leaky gut and dysbiosis and the whole role of gut integrity and autoimmune disease, as well as the bacterial imbalance that we can get with candida or yeast or dysbiosis or bacteria overgrowth. 
and how that influences our mood. And we really try to provide foundational adjuvants or tools that you can layer on top of just a very low carb, moderate protein, high fat diet, uh, and really working on mastering your macros and finding things that work for you. Because as always, my other favorite mantra is that doctrine creates disconnect. So everyone coming into their keto journey for a different reason in a different season of their life and a different starting point is going to need different tweaks and adjustments to get the outcomes they're looking to see. And their goals of what they're looking to accomplish is going to change and recalibrate as their body gets favorable outcomes. So, you know, what you imagine as optimal today may become normal tomorrow, and then optimal is going to continue to be redefined and you'll keep layering and striving and growing. Yes, I love that. So I guess that's a good way of defining what keto as medicine means to you or what we mean when we say ketosis as medicine. Anything else to add to that definition? I think, well, I think that's what today's episode will all dig into as yes. far as, you know, <laughs> the anti-inflammatory mechanisms, the influence that creates a sustainable palate recalibration. And I think another niche in the way that I use keto as medicine and a real food keto platform as far as never replacing a addictive driver and not creating false relationships with flavors and foods so that we really get sustainable outcomes for long-term change because this is a lifestyle and this is a lifestyle that you know you may define being deeper or lighter into nutritional ketosis and we'll talk about the pros and cons of that but breaking up with sugar and staying in carb control is definitely something that across the board is going to have benefit from children all the way to you know onset of advanced aging. Yes. And I think it's huge. And I think we're starting to see, you know, some of the other key players in this keto realm catching on to some of these things and letting go of those non-caloric sweeteners. Um, yeah. And I know you're a big proponent of that. So we'll get into that, I'm sure, in yes. this episode. Um, before we dive in, I actually want to have a share just a couple of testimonials uh, that really spoke to our hearts from some clients that Ali and I have both personally worked with and that have gone through our keto program. So I'll read this one from my client, Tom, who I actually started working with a year ago this month. And he came in last week on, I guess, our anniversary. And he's like, you forgot our anniversary, <laughs> uh, brought me a bottle of wine. So sweet. But he's he's had amazing results. So I just want to share with you guys. I'll just read his testimonial and then we'll be posting a before and after soon on Instagram, I'm sure. Awesome. Uh, awesome. And I love that it's a guy. Yes. Yes. Great. Give the fellas some love and yes. juice. See you guys, we, we're, we're listening to yes. you. We're here for you too. <laughs> so Tom says, one year ago, I had an epiphany. I was on a plane returning from another business trip filled with too much eating and drinking. I was overweight and unhealthy. My clothes didn't fit. I was uncomfortable all the time. I realized I had to do something. I had enough of being unhealthy. I resolved to make a change in my life, but it, I wasn't sure exactly how this time was going to be different than all my failed health kicks of the past. A few days later, I met Becky Yu and it changed my life. Aw. <laughs> when I met Becky, I was 310 pounds. My body fat was 35%. I started Becky's recommended ketosis diet and program and have continued to meet with her every six weeks for a year. She has literally changed my life. Today, I'm 230 pounds, a weight that I, Amazing. yes, that serves a sound effect. <laughs> yeah. Ah, 
<laughs> right. We'll just make our own. A weight I've not seen since high school. My body fat is 15%. I work out regularly and I love my diet. Keto has also improved my blood pressure, cholesterol, and overall health. I'm as healthy as I have ever been. I cannot recommend Becky and Naturally Nourished highly enough. She's fabulous and this program works. Amazing. I think that's so fantastic. And hearing that, you know, coming from a busy uh person that has travel for work, that's often a question we get is the limitations of meal prep. And, you know, I don't know if I can do this strict of a diet. It's so interesting to me how some people do perceive the ketogenic diet as strict, Mm -hmm. but often within restriction, I always say comes more freedom. In fact, the, the funny thing you'll hear is a lot of people that go keto carnivore, which is like obviously even more strict. Um, and we'll, we'll talk about that deeper in episode 100 of our podcast, but they find so much food freedom. They're eating to satiety and like literally just eating steak. Um, and so it's that, (laughs) that perception of freedom and restriction. And I think that the, the awesome thing about, especially when you're doing a whole food, real food keto approach is I always tell my clients, man and female, that you can always eat out, you know, you can always sub out the mashed potato for Brussels sprouts and do a steak and X, Y, Z and just navigate around things. And it's, it's absolutely doable. So I'm happy that he's traveling full time and, you know, working and is he a single guy as well? Uh, No, he's married. He's got four children, I believe. And um, is a partner in a law firm is traveling literally every other week for work. Yeah client dinners and things like that and has figured out how to navigate. We still haven't gotten him to do like a full-blown detox yet. So (laughs) we're working on that, but um, yeah. Well, I'll share one more and then we'll get rocking with today's content. So uh, this is from my client, Natalie. She says, this program is amazing. Allie and Becky explain the science of how to use food as medicine to heal your body. I could watch the lessons over and over and learn something new every time. This program has has helped me to drop 32 pounds and over five inches in my waist. I feel great and food no longer controls me. It nourishes me. Thank you. And in our time working together, we have seen improved body composition, reduced cravings, improved mood and cognition, hormone balance, increased energy, reduced CRP, which is a marker of inflammation. She started at a six. And it is now at 0.46. I love it below 0.8. So that's fabulous. Reduced fasting insulin from 37.9. I like it less than eight. And now it's at 7.6. And then her A1C went from 5.6 to 5.1. And she has halved her thyroid medication. We're seeing beyond believable hair regrowth and then clearer skin and complexion improvements. So we actually posted Natalie's uh, story and testimonial uh, this past week on our Instagram. You can check out and swipe right and look at her changes in her hair and skin. And the cool thing is she had been working with me one-on-one for about six months before she joined our program. She came to me doing the ketogenic diet. I think she had met me or heard about me at KetoCon in 2017. And, um, you know, six months into our journey together, two years into her keto, she joined our food as medicine virtual keto class. And that really helped her strive and kick into that, that barrier that she was at of weight loss and got an extra 32 pounds off. 
And I will say she did pair that with the MRT diet. And that was a huge solution for her as well, was really getting to the bottom of what was driving inflammation in her body. Yeah. And I mean, her transformation is amazing. I know she's still um, working at it every day. And I will say that's one of the really cool things about our program is that, yes, she was doing keto on her own and it wasn't quite working. She wasn't seeing outcomes and, you know, right. she probably is at a different entry point than the person who's never heard of keto and, and happens to sign up for our sure. program. So really we try to meet all levels. And I know she got a lot of really valuable information and stuff and tools she could apply in her body. Absolutely. So before we go into the deep, deep, deep info in today's uh, topic, I thought it'd be kind of fun real briefly, Becky, for you and I to share our personal story with keto. Yeah. So I uh, have been clinically using the ketogenic diet for about a decade now. When I took my first job out of school as a registered dietitian, I, uh, this was in 2009, I was running a physician's practice group for a very low calorie diet and it was a ketogenic approach, but they were using these really processed products. So I revamped that to be more whole food based and I, it was a year long program and I thought that was a really cool part of it. So they would do 12 weeks of intensive ketosis and then in that type of program, they had the option to stay keto or to transition to low glycemic but they had 52 classes. So, you know, we were able to catch them if they stumbled and really provide that lifestyle change with these weekly meetings. And we incorporated a lot of uh, counseling. We had a counselor coming in every six weeks as we got towards the middle and the end, getting into kind of the emotional layers and such. And that was really a, a medical weight loss program that I was running as I was working with functional medicine uh, individually with kind of the nine to five model of, of patient care. So, and, uh huh, yeah, yeah, and and I mean, we I was working with people that lost hundred plus pounds within that year, and really phenomenal outcomes. And so, when I opened my own private practice, I decided that almost immediately we needed to develop a ketosis weight loss group. So, started working uh, on laying out the structure, and hired another dietitian on staff to help to really launch that component of my practice, as I was doing really intensive functional medicine work at that time. Um, a lot more GI work, a lot more autoimmune work and whatnot. And um, so I, I've always been entrenched with it and I've always seen remarkable outcomes, especially with the maintenance of lean body mass and the reduction of cravings and really using it predominantly as a tool for weight loss. Uh, but Dr. Walls came out with her Walls protocol as I was in private practice, and I started working with a lot more patients with MS and neurological needs and using keto as an adjuvant, um, as a treatment modality on top of an anti-inflammatory diet, and really started to then branch out my perspective of what keto could be used as a tool for. So this was maybe 2012 or so. Um, and even within that, I had done the ketogenic diet when I would be developing like a two-week meal plan. Of course, I would eat in that way to sure. write the, cur the curriculum. Um, but I, the funny thing is, and, and naive or ego or whatever you want to call it, I never thought I quote-unquote mm -hmm. needed to do it. <laughs> I don't need right, to do it. Right, you weren't looking for I'm weight loss. Yeah. Weight. Right, right. And um, even though I have autoimmune history, I hadn't fully made that connection yet. Um, and it was really until, and I talk about this in my story, uh, 
I started to deal with struggles with fertility and I did my first candida cleanse. I think that that was the first time for a tight period of time I stayed below 60 grams of carbs for six weeks in a row. Um, and I think that that really played a role with me understanding a little bit deeper on some of the mechanisms, but maybe I wasn't even, I wasn't measuring ketones at that time and maybe I wasn't even full in ketosis, but I was lower than I normally was. I, I otherwise kept my diet low glycemic, um, and it was paleo, but I probably was having about 75 to 90 upwards of maybe 120 grams of carbs on some days. And, um, so yeah, it was really during the fertility story and then postpartum, um, within three months after having Stella, when my breast milk was fully in and, and breastfeeding was more of a routine, that's when I started to really play with keto as a mood and hormone stabilizer and really haven't looked back since. Um, and I've since been using really, as, as I've shared with you guys, a cyclical approach where I do carb cycling about two to four days a month. And um, I take a real life approach to this. So if for whatever instance, I feel XYZ need to do a carb cycle on another day, I will. Um, but generally speaking, 99% of my time and energy, I'm, I'm staying tight in keto and I do test my blood now. And I like to be in a light nutritional ketosis where I'm somewhere between like a 0.4 to a 1.8. Um, when I get over two, I notice that I get into that leptin hanger and um, I tend to get interrupted sleep patterns and a little bit too much reactive action going on <laughs> for someone that's a type A high adrenal output <laughs> person as is. Yeah. So I only need a little <laughs> bit of that juice to keep me going. Yeah, Otherwise, I go into I may not survive that. So. <laughs> um, so I've found that. No, it's yeah. all good. Just, <laughs> yeah, sorry, Becky. Yeah, I have to look for the, no, the 2 a.m. No, emails a carb, and be like, okay, do you need some carbs? Um, <laughs> <laughs> awesome. I love it. Um, and I think uh, yeah. we'll probably get some questions about keto and breastfeeding from this episode. So real quick, um, you can be keto when you breastfeed. Do you want to speak to that before I tell my story for a second? Sure. Yeah. I mean, and, and it really just depends on watching your output. So in our virtual program, we do have two different protocols. One is a calorie restricted keto and one is a high fat, low carb keto, non-calorie restricted plan. So we would start you in that non-calorie restricted plan, get you producing ketones and uh, reap the benefits of that metabolic shift and watch your milk, breast milk production and output. Um, watch for changes in babes' sleeping patterns and all of those things before then you would consider cutting calories if you're looking for weight loss as well. And that's the biggest area where we tend to see actually uh, low milk production is excessive calorie restriction. I generally speaking do not see that with going into a light state of nutritional ketosis. In fact, I noticed that Stella started sleeping through the night when I started getting deeper into keto, uh, likely because the composition of the breast milk was a little bit higher in, and richer in fats. And um, babies do run on ketones um, when they are in utero. And um, it's they, they're also hybrid. You know, they weren't run on glucose and ketones. And um, we talk about a little bit of ketones um, in breast milk in the breastfeeding episode as well. So you can listen to that. Yes. I'll link back to that one. And then for me personally, um, I think I probably started to dabble like back in 2015 
when I was helping just cover some of the in-office classes and kind of getting some passive information. And I was like, well, if I'm here, maybe I should try this, you know, in myself. And I was working with clients, I guess, at that point, um, counseling on the MRT protocol and mm-hmm. uh, organic more meal planning. And a lot of them were keto. So I was like, I should probably try this so I can speak authentically to how this yeah. diet works. Um, but I didn't really get serious, I think, until like prior to getting married in 2016. So coming up on, on two years of that, um, you know, just to kind of tighten things up, look good in a wedding dress. I mean, again, I wasn't <laughs> looking for significant weight loss, but I think what I saw more so than anything was the the body composition shift. Um, and, you know, I might've been what we could call like skinny fat for a while there <laughs> and didn't even know it until I did some body composition scans in our office and, um, started to play with keto for fat loss and um, increasing muscle mass at the same time. So I think that's one of the biggest shifts I've seen. And then since then, since launching our virtual program, I've taken it a lot more seriously and tightened up. And I feel like both of us do kind of go in this ebb and flow of like when we're in (laughs) an active program, Mm -hmm. we're a lot um, tighter and kind of restart with the group, which is a nice reset, I think, for both of us as well. Yeah. Oh, for sure. And I think maybe the biggest change that... I've seen overall is just um, cognitive and brain function, definitely energy and mood. Um, and then just yes. not having any sugar cravings, like not even needing to look at that stuff anymore is amazing. Yes. I mean, even when I am carb cycling now, my carb cycling is peaking at 60 to 75 grams of carbs. I had, I split a, a local Texas peach with Stella yesterday and it was like, uh-huh. such an experience. It was like an out of body, like godly experience. And I just remember just kind of owning that nourishment and being like, oh, like this is what redefining your palate is. This is what I talk to people about as really sustainable change. And I know with my Raynaud syndrome and kind of autoimmune tendencies, when I kick myself out of keto, because I start to get a little bit of uh, neuropathy and a little bit of like a tingling joint pain, almost immediate. It's really wild. Um, So I've learned that as a great marker of tolerance. And that's been one of my biggest wins is less autoimmune flares. Um, Overall circulatory function has been improved dramatically. My sleep has been phenomenal. My stress resilience has been awesome. And then the the working with my hormones with the cyclical approach has been a really awesome balance for my body. And um, then there is the, the composition shift and favorable impact of someone that is an entrepreneur and mom and working at all the time. I, I love having the ability of having muscle sparing without having to exercise. I know that that's not the best thing to say out loud, but it's It's true. I got to say it. And yeah. And I also love the fact that I can do extended fasts and eat irregularly without throwing my blood sugar off. I love that resilience within my metabolism so that I can, you know, whether I'm doing a 16, eight fast or just, you know, big picture, Sometimes I eat in these bookends where, you know, in the morning I'm going to eat big 800 calorie meal and then in the evening big 800 calorie meal. So during the middle of the day, I can just have an F-bomb pack and, you know, that's going to keep me ripping through my clients and I'm I'm on point. Yes. I love that. That's a really good point. We travel a lot and I think the fasting part has been huge for me and Byron always says, you're not hangry anymore. Like I used to get pretty 
oh, significant. Yeah. Even doing paleo, like significant blood sugar dips where we'd be on a hike and I would like start, you know, seeing stars and have to pull out an apple and an almond butter packet. For uh, sure. And now yeah. I can just go, go, go. And if, you know, food doesn't look good to me at the airport, which it usually doesn't, I can just fast and, and make it happen. So awesome. Yeah. <laughs> okay. So let's yes, get into yes. it. <laughs> so now that we've shared our, our personal stories. <laughs> um, so let's talk, let's just jump in with, um, first of all, Allie, how we make ketones and maybe the top five impacts of like, what can ketones actually do in the body? Sure. So I'm going to give a real primary explanation because I want to get into the the nuts and bolts of today's episode on how ketones can be therapeutic. But big picture, when we are using fat as our primary fuel, we are in the state of nutritional ketosis. And the way we need to do that is by lowering our insulin levels and lowering our glucose levels. So in the dietary approach, we're going to be restricting carbohydrates to less than 10% of our calorie distribution, generally speaking, less than 30 grams a day of total carbohydrates, not net carbs. And that is a way of, quote unquote, starving your body off um, from sugar, if you will. And in this sense, so, so insulin responds to food consumption. We do have insulin response uh, to protein and fats, but the highest insulin response is to carbohydrates, which break down to glucose. So as we reduce our carbohydrates to less than 30 total grams a day, our glucose peaks or spikes reduce rapidly to more of a even keeled speed bump, if you will. So the demand and need for high amounts of insulin reduces. And then insulin levels also reduce as we reduce our frequency of eating. So that's another favorable tool to this kind of ketogenic approach. And getting your body into a state of ketosis can be paired with also overall time-restricted eating. So in that process, we see some really awesome things. After about 72 hours of carb restriction, the body starts to say, okay, Allie, you're not giving me a lot of glucose. I got to figure out how to be thrifty and use some alternative fuel source. I'm going to produce ketones. So the liver has the ability to produce ketones, and uh, these are made from exogenous and endogenous fat. So exogenous being dietary fat that's consumed, endogenous being the fat stores in your body, um, as Dr. Jason Fung calls it, uh, the deep freezer of your body reserves, if you will. So in that process, after 72 hours or three days of carb restriction, the body starts to metabolize fat as fuel, both from the fat in the diet and the fat on your body. And if you stay within that carb restriction, you're going to enter the state of ketosis. And as you produce ketones, we see five really awesome things happen in your body. The first one I want to focus on is muscle sparing and fat burning. So there are tons of studies, and in our preparation for today's episode, we have linked a lot of peer-reviewed journals, and <laughs> we will share these with you in the show notes. The show notes are always at AllieMillerRD.com. You click on the podcast tab, and then you go to the notes, and um, there's going to be a tons of different journal references, but that's not my shtick yeah, to, to kind of talk read them over. <laughs> 
Yeah, yeah. But long story short, many of these studies uh, looked at, you know, randomized controlled trials versus epidemiological observational, okay? And um, many of these that looked at muscle sparing and fat burning took, you know, overweight individuals and they would do a calorie restricted diet, um, often a low fat and low cholesterol diet and calorie restricted, and then a low carb, non-calorie restricted, or sometimes it would be isocaloric, meaning same calories as the low fat um, within the keto approach. But across the board, study after study after study, and this is looking at periods of 24 weeks, upwards of six months to a year out, uh, we see in many studies that the low carbohydrate diet shows a greater rate of weight loss it shows favorable impact on body composition change, meaning muscle sparing and metabolic maintenance with body fat loss specifically. And they either find improved lipid outcomes when monitoring the um, HDL, triglycerides, LDL, total cholesterol, um, or they may see no big change. Um, but I think that that's always important to note because often there's that concern of LDL levels elevating. And um, I always say when you're in an active state of weight loss, it's something that you may see, but let your body recalibrate because when your body's metabolizing, yeah, when your body's metabolizing high amounts of fat as fuel and your liver is processing and producing those ketones, yes, you may see fluctuation in, in total cholesterol and LDL. You should always see an increase of HDL. And of your LDL, your total particle count, which is the highest association with risk, your particle count will go down. You'll start making more of those large, buoyant, protective LDL particles. But over time, yes, you may see a fluctuation in that algorithm, which may look unfavorable. Take a deep breath reassess in 90 days or six months, and you'll see favorable outcomes. But what we see across the board is favorable body composition change, body fat burn, and muscle maintenance, which is awesome. I think it's huge. And it's so cool to look at this um, in some of my clients that I'm working with and do their body composition scans in office. Like Tom, for example, you would have expected him to at least his muscle mass to take a hit with 80 pounds of weight loss. It's at the exact same spot as where it started, which was very high to begin with, but it's really cool to see the clients that are doing keto and are preserving muscle mass versus I can kind of tell when someone's not doing keto and they're doing more of a calorie restricted model, maybe with a you know moderate carbohydrate consumption. Usually their muscle takes a hit along with the fat. Um, and it's so cool because it's going to keep their, their BMR, their basal metabolic rate around the same or even higher if they're... Um, even gaining muscle during this process. So, and right. So, the issue with that that I like to explain is when we're looking at weight loss, if we're not using keto and we're just using calorie restricted, and we're going to go into muscle wasting because the body knows that muscle is more nutritionally dense <laughs> than fat. And um, it's kind of a defense mechanism. Okay, Allie's not feeding me enough calories. I'm hypocaloric, and that's maybe intentional for weight loss, right? But I'm going to reduce my metabolic rate. That's a survival mechanism. And what happens is as you lose that first 10% body fat or as you lose your beginning weight loss, if you're not in keto and you're losing muscle, not getting that muscle sparing benefit, your basal metabolic rate drops to the point where you plateau. So what used to be a calorie deficit becomes a calorie isocaloric or same calorie 
restriction of what you're burning because you lost metabolic burn with that muscle loss. And that's where then you go from frustrated to effort mode <laughs> or, and, and, or you regain and, or you feel like you have to stay chronically in diet mode to keep the weight off. And so it's like you're running up a downhill escalator. Um, so I think that that's a huge thing to call out for sure is the sustainability of keto as medicine as a weight loss tool. And the results being that when you lose the weight on the scale that you want to see change and the body composition change, that you're just as metabolically active when there was more of you on the scale or more of you to quote unquote feed. And so you don't have to stay calorie restricted to sustain the weight loss that you've achieved. Yes. I think that's an awesome point. And we talked a lot about that back in our why diets don't work episode. I feel like I'm recalling ancient history, but I'll link to that one in our show notes for those who want to dig deeper. All right. So that was number one. Let's talk about um, the mechanism on reducing food cravings. Why does that happen in keto? Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, there actually are metabolic benefits that influence our bodies when we're doing a higher fat diet. Um, and so when we're looking at a ketogenic diet, we can actually see a big impact on something called GLP-1, which is glucagon-like peptide. And this works basically to decrease blood sugar levels. Um, and it basically enhances the secretion of insulin. But when we're following a low carbohydrate and high fat diet, the GLP-1 hormones are going to increase in the body. And that signals the brain that enough food has been eaten. So basically GLP-1, which is favorably increased with a ketogenic high fat, low carbohydrate diet, it actually enhances our taste sensitivity in our tongue. It actually is neuroprotective in the brain and enhances our satiety, reduces our appetite. Um, it plays favorable benefits with our kidneys and liver function, also plays a favorable role with pancreatic function as far as regulation of beta cells, uh, how the body releases glucagon that goes down so it doesn't tell our body that we're too low of glucose so that we don't go into glucose production. Um, it uh, enhances our insulin sensitivity in the body. It enhances our muscles' ability to uptake glucose. It drives, lipo, uh, it drives uh, benefit within our adipose tissue of balance. And um, it's going to reduce our gastric emptying. So it allows our stomach to, again, hold on to the foods a little bit longer and create that satiety. So that's a huge favorable actual physiological impact of a keto diet that is a big hypothesis, if you will, of maybe why. And then the, the benefit on top of that is leptin itself, which is another hormone that works uh, hand in hand with ghrelin. We see leptin levels, which is that satiety hormone. We often see people that come at us with resistant weight loss or obesity having extremely elevated leptin levels. And when they go keto, they start to get leptin sensitivity. So they start to get that docking of that hormone that tells the body that we're satisfied and satiated. And that's when we get that keto high as well. Um, and, and so that's one of the big benefits for satiety. Sure. And then I think just the elimination of, you know, sweet tasting foods and that palate reset is the other piece of the puzzle and the removal of a lot of those trigger foods beyond just the mechanisms. Yes. 
Yes. And, and not needing to have, having something that's more of a constant fuel source versus something that's so dynamic and ebbing and flowing, if you will, like carbohydrates, which have rapid peaks and drops. Um, when we're looking at glucose, uh, you know, just removing that as a variable is going to have a huge impact on our satiation as well. Like you were saying with your, your hangar. Yes. <laughs> no more of that. Um, let's talk about some of the, um, the, action on antioxidant capacity and how this relates to uh, being neuroprotective or protecting the brain. Yeah. So like I said, GLP-1 has one impact there, but beyond that, the presence of ketones in the body. So ketones can cross our blood-brain barrier, which is super cool and important to note. So we actually see that the influence of ketones crossing into that blood-brain barrier has an ability to reduce our reactive oxygen species or uh, depletion or drivers of oxidative damage in the brain. So things that would deplete antioxidants and or cause oxidative damage. So the ketone bodies being present in our bloodstream actually are able to prevent depletion of antioxidants. So we've seen that the ketogenic diet um, will link a research study that looks at uh, a ketogenic diet actually increasing mitochondrial glutathione levels. So glutathione being the hierarchy of antioxidants, kind of that grandmama, if you will, antioxidant, um, that is a huge driver of protecting our body against uh, toxic metals, um, also protecting against um, inflammatory processes of arthritis, um, joint damage and such, but plays a big role on cellular function and feeding our energy sector our energy factories within the cells, the, the mitochondria, if you will. And uh, glutathione actually protects our bodies all the way down to the level of our DNA. So the presence of ketones alone maintains optimized glutathione levels in the body, and the presence of ketones alone reduces oxidative damage in the brain. Pretty flipping cool. That's amazing. And we'll get more into the neurological benefits when we start to talk about um, specific conditions. But I think that's so cool. And then there's the piece of the puzzle as well. I know the anti-anxiety diet was really um, a huge part of it is, you know, starting folks in ketosis to aid in reduction of anxiety and grounding of those excitatory neurotransmitters. So do you want to talk about that for a sec? Yeah. So we'll do a loose one and then we'll dig deeper yes. down the rabbit hole. <laughs> but, but basically in, in my book, I talk about how the Journal of Diabetic Complications uh, states and, and they have done pretty deep research on compounding factors within diabetes. And they find that individuals that have elevated blood sugar levels are more than twice to three times as likely to develop depression and anxiety or mental illness. So, you know, there are mechanisms we'll get into in a moment specific as a mood stabilizer that ketones have. But beyond that, just regulating blood sugar and insulin levels, um, which is the metabolic work to then produce ketones, is going to have mood stabilizing impact. And it uh, ketones are released in the time of other hormonal balances like HGH production um, and improved amino acid utilization and neurological function. So that's where we get a lot of the, the outcomes coming from. So yes, ketones can actually sit on excitatory pathways in the brain. And aside from the free radical impact and the oxidative damage, they actually can aid in a very grounding and mood stabilizing effect. Beyond satiety, beyond antioxidant, 
they can actually impact us on a neurotransmitter level. Awesome. And dare I say that by the time this episode comes out, your book might be... Damn, better, better be, be available. So we'll link to that. And if it's not available, it should be very, very, very shortly. <laughs> yes. Yeah. And then the final one, we'll go on until we get into to conditions, is that keto can curb inflammation. So beyond oxidative damage, it actually, uh, the, the production of ketone bodies themselves, uh, generally speaking, they have less free radical production, like we talked about. Um, they actually can reduce tissue inflammation as well. And um, we know that, for instance, the concept of like ages or advanced glycation end products, this is the uh, process of, again, trends of sugar elevation, driving like a tarry plaque formation or inflammatory mechanism within our body. We think of that often with dementia and Alzheimer's disease, these ages um, being produced by elevated sugar levels. And that's why we're saying, you know, Alzheimer's is type three diabetes, if you will. Well, beyond again, free radical overload, ketones in the bloodstream actually have been able to drive anti-inflammatory mechanisms they actually inhibit inflammatory markers like our TNF-alpha, our COX-2, our NF-kappa-B. And, you know, these are geeky biochem terms of things that work with prostaglandins, uh, interleukins, and inflammatory mediators that we take over-the-counter NSAIDs like Aleve or Advil or prescription drugs to regulate as anti-inflammatory tools. But the production of ketones and getting in a state of ketogenesis itself actually can drive a lot of favorable anti-inflammatory mo molecules. So we see PPAR gamma as one um, and varied mechanisms without having to rely on that roadblock of medication to block those mechanisms. The ketones themselves actually close the channels that drive inflammatory chemical attack in the body. That's huge. And thanks for bringing it back to semi-human speak. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, and yeah, we'll link all these studies if y'all want to dig deeper, but let's jump into now um, beyond just these mechanisms. And there's so many other benefits of ketones. It was hard to pick just five. Um, let's talk about the top conditions that we feel that keto heals and why? So I think starting with diabetes and obesity is probably, you know, the most common one. Absolutely. And yeah, I mean, that was the idea with today's episode, Keto as Medicine. We want this to be one of those like mic drop episodes <laughs> that if you're, if you're, if you have not tried keto yet, A, what are you doing? Because we talk about it all the time. <laughs> Why are you listening and not doing? Um, you need to get a spot in our program right now. Um, and B, if you are doing keto, but you're not getting results, we need to understand some of the underlying mechanisms. And, and next episode, episode 100, is going to tell you about ways to solve your keto rut. But I want to finish this episode talking about five conditions. So we just talked about the mechanisms of having ketones in your bloodstream. Now, what can they do in the body on a medical level? And what disease states are we seeing the most promising outcomes on? And um, remember that we don't have to wait for a disease diagnosis to get upstream and prevent is always going to be favorable. So wherever you're at in your journey, listening to this information to come or the family member that you know that may be afflicted by one of these conditions, please share this episode with them and um, please share with them a link to our program 
like we said, which is starting in a week. And even if you're listening to this as an archive, um, we generally let people join in up until the third class. So it's at AllieMillerRD.com backslash ketosis hyphen class. And that is our 12-week virtual food as medicine program to give you all of the info you need to really rock out a ketogenic lifestyle. So the first one we would look at is diabetes and obesity for the many reasons we've already discussed, right? So there's the muscle sparing effect, um, which keeps your metabolism optimized. There is the body fat uh, metabolism enhancement, which is going to help with insulin resistance. Um, we know that having excessive body fat drives diabetic uh, complication because body fat is going to drive insulin resistance, which means we need more insulin. And that can over time deplete pancreatic function, which can then create the need for exogenous insulin um, for a type 2 diabetic that's uncontrolled. So the first way to manage diabetes and obesity is to burn fat. <laughs> and the best way to manage diabetes in general is to reduce the carbohydrates that are creating this dysglycemia or blood sugar imbalance. Um, and I am a certified diabetes educator, and it's so frustrating how many times we have been educated by endocrinologists or general practitioners or just the standard guidelines of care. Uh, the diabetic diet is way higher carbohydrate than it should be. And we, and we often are chasing blood sugar drops with carbs versus... <laughs> so what happens is someone may be over-medicated um, either by an oral hypoglycemic drug like metformin um, or glucophage, or it could be by excessive insulin dosage that they're using, and their blood sugar crashes, and they're taught to take in a rapid-acting carbohydrate, about 15 grams of carbs, wait 15 minutes, and then retest their blood sugar. Um, so we're chasing medication with food versus using food to reduce medication. Just take a moment to think about that. That That is truly how we are educated to treat patients is chase the medication dosage with food. And then vice versa, so, right? Yeah. Yeah. And it's a vicious yeah. cycle. So um, I use the ketogenic diet with diagnosed diabetics. Absolutely. And you can get very favorable outcomes in both type 1 and type 2 diabetics. In fact, um, Hannah, um, I'm trying to think of her Instagram handle. She talked at Hannah KetoCon. Diabetes um, and she's expert? Yeah. Diabetes expert, I think it is. Yeah. And she's a type 1 diabetic and has an awesome story. Um, and maybe we'll have to have her on here for sure. But, but so much research is looking at both type 1 and type 2 regulation with the ketogenic diet. And the idea is that we don't have to rely as much on insulin. So duh, that sounds fabulous. Um, so there was a study that we'll link in our show notes um, looking at uh, a pretty small population, 84 obese patients um, with type 2 diabetes. And they did a low-carbohydrate diet and saw both sustained uh, glycemic control, um, reduced um, and or eliminated medication use. Um, and favorable blood sugar balance. And I just see that, I mean, literally every single day with patients that I work with continuing to reduce their reliance on medications as we do carb control. I will say if you're very high medicated, you may need to work with a certified diabetes educator to adjust and slide um, if you are dropping into glucose levels in the 60s or low 70s. 
We want to work with a practitioner that can reduce your dosage as you are using the ketogenic diet so that you're not crashing your body because that's going to hinder your outcomes for sure. Sure. So it would be safe to say that ketosis can literally reverse diabetes. Yes. Fair enough. Yes. <laughs> We, I think we have to say remission. remission. Um, Fair enough. Yes, yep. but, but yes, can regulate blood sugar control, absolutely, and put you in a non-diabetic mode of blood sugar control. So however you want to call that, sure. yeah, for Like sure. if we looked at labs, you wouldn't look diabetic anymore. <laughs> diabetic, right. And you wouldn't express yep. symptoms or be at risk for diabetic comorbidities or complications. So pretty yep. rad. And when I used to run the clinic that did that year-long weight loss group, we would pull everyone off of their um, oral hypoglycemic drugs that work on the liver, like the, the metformin and the glucophage. And um, we would work based on where their blood sugar control was and their level of short acting and long acting insulin. We would start to scale that down immediately just by jumping into the diet. So, so definitely things to consider. That's amazing. Okay. So let's get into some of the neurological conditions. And I think this is yeah. a, a huge one given where the ketogenic diet originated from was seizure control. Absolutely. So, I mean, I think that that's one of its most popular entry points into medical documentation with journals back in the 1940s. And we learned that ketone bodies, again, their ability to cross the blood-brain barrier, they have anti-seizure, anti-convulsant, and neuroprotective properties. Um, and they affect both our inhibitory, um, predominantly our GABA receptors and our GAB, they're GABAergenic. I can never say that word, but they, they work within GABA production. <laughs> and GABA is an inhibitory compound. It's a mellower outer compound. We think of like, for instance, Parkinson's disease, um, having issues with both dopamine and GABA. And that's where we can get rigidity and tremors, for instance. Well, ketone bodies can actually work on supporting the inhibitory compounds like GABA and also regulating our excitatory neurotransmitters like our epinephrine, um, in addition to regulating and fueling our mitochondrial targets in our cells. So again, they both work directly to fuel the energy factories of our cells called the mitochondria. And mitochondria are a big area of focus with uh, neurological conditions, as well as things like chronic fatigue syndrome, myopathies or wasting of muscle tissue and um, across the board neurological function. So they both fuel the energy factories. They can reduce the excitatory impulses and enhance the inhibitory impulses, which is how we can have this very grounded impact on the receptors in the brain that can actually not only help with preventing seizure excitatory output, but also prevent anxiety also aid in cognitive function and enhancement. Um, and we're even seeing really cool studies with things like Alzheimer's disease um, and following uh, different cognitive studies of seeing improved outcomes with, with supplementation or use of um, ketones. So cool. And yeah, a lot of the Alzheimer's studies, they're, they're very promising. A lot of them do use the exogenous ketones. I think we'll speak to that in a little bit, um, you know, exogenous versus, but yeah. I mean, hey, however you can get that, that therapeutic outcome, you know, in an advanced disease state, certainly that would be a consideration. And then MS, we spoke to a little bit as well. And I know you've seen favorable outcomes in clinic with MS, certainly. Right. Oh, absolutely. Um, individuals that have come to me 
starting in wheelchair mode, uh, being able to, and, and with some significant, uh, at least one side of, of lateral uh, foot drop and uh, loss of uh, function, dexterity in the hands, and um, seeing remarkable improvement, quality of life, walking unassisted. Um, and uh, it's really pronounced based on the protective effect that ketone bodies have on the central nervous system, both as an anti-inflammatory, but also as an antioxidant supporter. And so we do tend to get this benefit on our motor neurons in the spinal cord and this preservation of motor function or um, improvement of motor function of something that had declined or started to deteriorate. So cool. And then cancer, I think we hit pretty hard on this one in our episode. Um, I'll link to, I'm not sure what number, but back with Allison Gannett on keto and cancer. But let's talk yeah. about that mechanism for a little bit, because I think this is another really promising area of emerging research. Yes. So the idea that we can really starve cancer of glucose, you know, when we look at a PET scan, for, in, for instance, excuse me, we're looking at when they say, oh, you know, that, that person's scan lit up. Um, when there's a lot of action with tumor pathogenesis, uh, what we see is the metabolism of glucose. Uh, tumors feed off of glucose. And so when we see uh, high rapid um, replicating abnormal cells, there's going to be higher uptake of glucose in those areas of growth. So the idea, one of the mechanisms, just one of the mechanisms of, of ketosis for cancer is, is starving off essentially some of the fuel sources. And um, we also see that incorporating uh, fasting, which is going to upregulate that autophagy and that cellular surveillance and cleansing of the system, uh, may be a very good tool to work hand in hand with chemotherapy. We're starting to see studies being published about uh, intermittent fasting, making keto, chemo, excuse me, more effective as a tool. And that being paired with a ketogenic diet um, to get best fasting outcomes, because again, you get that satiety. You're not having the blood sugar dips and, and drops, especially at someone that's very immune compromised. They need to maintain all of that musculature and lean body mass as possible to support their immune system. And they need a diet that can be restrictive timeline-wise to allow that autophagy, but yet is very nourishing, um, which is going to be high in the fats and good quality animal products, which will really help to support immunological function. Sure. I think that's huge. And I can't tell you how many times I've seen friends and clients go through chemo and I they're encouraged to eat the crappiest food during oh their treatment. Oh my gosh, literally saltines uh -huh. and juice uh -huh. while they're... And it's like, well, you know, you're not feeling well anyway. Maybe that is that <laughs> your body's telling you not to eat. You don't feel like eating. And, and yeah. we do see these outcomes. Obviously, we want to get ahead of any weight loss for anyone who is um, in active treatment and is seeing things like cachexia. But I think keto is a great solution to that, honestly. Absolutely. Yep. And I say that also, I mean, even to a lighter note, someone that's getting like a knee replacement or a hip sure. replacement, right? And they're like, oh, you know, a lot of our guys that are in their uh, mid 60s or whatnot, and they're like, oh, I just don't want to lose all my muscle mass or I don't want to see my, my T go, my testosterone go down and this and that. And it's like, well, you got to go keto, man, because you got to be off of your body for four to six week rehab until you can really start the intensive uh, PT. Um, this is the best way to do it for sure. Awesome. And then let's speak to infertility. This is a big one, um, I think. And we spoke to it a bit in our PCOS episodes, but it deserves. I think so. 
Yeah. And, and that's in the forties. Yeah. And then we also, I think, talked about it a little bit in episode 75 on yeah, carb sure cycling. Yeah. I talked a lot about this, um, LH to FSH ratio. So absolutely, you know, th this is one of my favorite outcomes that we see time and time again, every time. So this is our fourth round of our 12 week program. And every round we get someone that was dealing at least a couple people that were dealing with infertility, um, pregnant. So it's so awesome to see. And, um, just makes me really excited to be a part of that because infertility can be such a high stress time for women and men. And, um, it's such an expensive process. So if there can be a diet therapy that can also make you feel less anxious and see favorable body composition, bring it on. Um, and you know, what we're really looking at as one of the mechanisms of keto is that um, there is a ratio of our luteinizing hormone and our follicular stimulating hormone. And we want to see for proper egg development, a LH and FSH um, ratio that's optimal at like a one-to-one. -one. So the, the levels in the blood should be quite comparable. And when we have infertility, especially people with PCOS, their LH is often going to be significantly higher, like a three-to-one ratio. And uh, the state of ketosis can actually correct this relationship. It also, in the fact that you're using fat as fuel, your adipocytes or your body fat cells generally are going to be estrogenic. So we tend to get uh, metabolism of estrogen dominance, which can be seen with things like uterine fi fibroids, excuse me. So that makes thick tissue that's inhabitable for fertilized egg. So we can see uterine fibroids getting um, improved substantially with a ketogenic diet. We can also see estrogen dominance being metabolized, um, which can help with progesterone expression. Um, we can see also, uh, if done appropriately, uh, progesterone levels to come back up. And at times, that might be a tool that we would use hand in hand. But we definitely will see also a reduction of DHEA, which is often elevated with a PCOS or whether you call it PCOS or PCOS client as well. Um, and that's because they tend to go more androgenic. So PCOS clients tend to be higher testosterone, higher DHEA, have high amounts of insulin resistance. And that's why the kind of drug approach is to put them on metformin um, to help with that blood sugar regulation and to put them on Clomid to really slingshot the pituitary in the brain, which regulates both LH and FSH. But keto alone can do that. And um, we've seen there was a study in 2014 that looked at obese women undergoing fertility treatment. And they found compared to a control group, women that followed a low carbohydrate diet for 12 weeks alone had significant improvements in pregnancy outcomes. They lost an average of 20 pounds in that period of time. They achieved a pregnancy rate of 48% compared to 14% in the control group um, and uh, had a, a 44 increase in the number of live births. So beyond the hormone changes, remember also there's the anti-inflammatory benefits and antioxidant benefits. So when we talked about Glutathione, back in the neurological highlights, glutathione deficiency, for instance, has been seen to trend with miscarriage. So interesting, right? So there's all these mechanisms within healthy pregnancy and fertility that the keto diet can be very favorable for. Um, and I know, should I just answer what's coming next, Becky? Well, next, I'm going to ask about anxiety, I think. <laughs> 
Well, <laughs> but I was just thinking before that the question that. is going to yeah. be, can you stay keto? Once oh, yeah. Get? No, that's, you know that's a I mean? really because important. it's kind of there. Yep, it's there. <laughs> um, so because I'm getting you all jazzed about like, you need to try this to get pregnant. And um, the, I would say that the jury is still out. Um, you know, the big question, what I say across the board is once you have achieved successful pregnancy, I don't want you to restrict anything outside of what would be intuitive. I want you to monitor and watch your blood sugar control and fuel your body with its needs. So still driving with high fat, moderate protein and lower carbohydrate. But I want you to be intuitive in the sense that many women, I personally went upwards of 75 grams of carbs during my pregnancy um, and maybe even had a day or so of 90 grams. And um, I think that that's very appropriate. Um, I still likely, if I was testing, I was not at that time, but I still likely was producing ketones because with production of a baby and growing a baby and um, exercise and the varied uh, outputs and demands on glucose, um, that a woman can easily be into nutritional ketosis without as much of a carb restriction. And again, across the board, I don't recommend in early stages and throughout your pregnancy restricting anything dynamic, um, you know, being mindful and intuitive is good, but you can absolutely stay high fat, moderate protein, low awesome. carb. I think that's super helpful. And, and it is a question that we get all the time. So now on to anxiety, yes. let's talk about it. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes. So I think this will yes. be the final thing because we're getting there guys with so much content for you today. Um, so yes, anxiety, as we talked about, um, is one of my most excited tools that I think is not discussed yet um, in the role of ketones and the the realm of possibilities of them working as a mood stabilizer, both an antidepressant and an anti-anxiety. Again, one of the big clinical overlaps is the mechanism of both epilepsy and bipolar disorder. So, um, you know, I started, and in my book, The Anti-Anxiety Diet, I talk a lot about the GAPS protocol in my beginning of my journey as a clinician, and um, that stands for Gut and Psychology Syndrome by Natasha McBride. And, um, you know, this was a grain-free gut-restoring protocol to help with all forms of schizophrenia, bipolar, you know, beyond anxiety. And um, there are so many mechanisms that the ketogenic diet can support to help to stabilize our receptors in our brain and also encourage a mellow mood. Like I said, they directly cross the blood-brain barrier and they actually act on our neuropeptides and have these anti-inflammatory mechanisms that reduce anxious signaling. So if there is more inflammation in the brain, we know that that creates a little bit more of an excitatory state. So that in itself is one of the regulatory mechanisms. Um, another one is how this can actually support our feedback of our fight or flight axis in the body by regulating our bacterial status. So when we reduce our carbohydrates to a ketogenic level, we are also reducing the fuel source for dysbiosis and yeast overgrowth in the body. And we know that our neurotransmitters, specifically our serotonin and our dopamine and GABA, are widely manufactured or at least metabolized by our gut bacteria. So when we're in a state of dysbiosis, we actually make more excitatory, anxious driving neurotransmitters. Um, and then, uh, so like epinephrine, adrenaline, if you will. And then when we're in a state of symbiosis or balanced gut bacteria, we make more of the GABA and the serotonin. So we do see that using keto also just based on the carb control 
beyond the blood sugar regulation, we get the biome regulation, which is hand in hand, um, and then the anti-inflammatory neurological mechanisms. Um, and I think that this is of, of the ones that I personally experienced the strongest, um, where I just feel rock and roll mode with keto. And, um, you know, there are times when I'll opt out of a carb cycling because I have zero desire, even though my cycle, my menstruation cycle tells me this is the time to carb up. Um, if I have a big lecture or something going on and I'm not feeling like getting thrown off my game, I likely will stay keto tight and then listen to my body and, you know, do, do what I need to do to stay hormonally regulated. But I think that the anti-inflammatory and regulation of the excitatory impulses are the biggest things that I notice. Um, that helps me to stay super chill. And then I pair calm and clear and gab calm with that. So yes. <laughs> extra tools. <laughs> yeah. Oh my gosh. We have coming up on episode 101, Carrie Brown on yeah. the show, who's going to talk about her personal experience with using keto to manage bipolar disorder and severe depression. So really, really cool stuff coming out um, beyond just anxiety. Okay. So let's go into a little bit of lifestyle support and favorites, and um, then we'll hit the ground running. But we'll give you guys a moment right now. If, if you're, I mean, if you're not convinced yet, <laughs> pause this episode, go to your web browser. Sorry, this is our two episodes that we're just going to sales you um, without a sponsor. <laughs> Sponsored by our um, Naturally Nourished 12-Week Buddhist Medicine Ketosis virtual class. Um, again, there is a, uh, 199 deal, which actually is good only through the end of August. Um, and otherwise still a wonderful value at 249, but you will get access to the full 12 week program, our eBooks, eat fat, get skinny, and also our ebook, the ketogenic kickstart, which has the protocol and the research behind all of these mechanisms. Yes. So like Ali said, if you listen to the podcast and you haven't tried our program yet, it's a great entry point versus, you know, it can be really expensive to work with a practitioner and go down the rabbit hole of labs and supplements and all the things. And so this is a great way to do like 80 to 90% of the work yourself and still get to experience us in a classroom setting, um, which is fantastic. You will learn so, so much. I always do just by moderating the groups. For sure. Okay. And sponsorship. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And no, wait, hold on. Wait for it. <laughs> oh my gosh. We're so silly today. I love it. It's all the key things. Um, <laughs> Mood stabilizing. Um, okay, so let's just speak to this really quickly and then we'll try to wrap things up. So if ketones are such a beneficial compound and they have all of these um, mechanistic benefits and applications in all of these different disease states, does that mean that more ketones is better? Do we want to go to the exogenous or BHB products or what are we looking for when we look at ketones in blood? I think that's a great question and something to definitely mention. So it really depends on our outcomes and goals, but generally speaking, it's about supporting the body to get into that metabolic process versus just looking at the end product. So yes, there are therapeutic mechanisms of having ketones available in our bloodstream. Absolutely. And especially if you're someone that's doing this for epilepsy and a neurological condition um, versus maybe some overall support like obesity and blood sugar stability, 
then you may want to have accessible some BHB or uh, beta-hydroxybutyrate, which is going to be a exogenous ketone. And that's truly only in the sense that that individual is like stuck in an airport, doesn't have MCT oil, which I'd always recommend first and foremost, um, and, you know, isn't able, doesn't have a high amount of body fat. Because again, if you have body fat, you're going to be fine. Your body can make ketones all the time. But if you are lower body fat and dealing with this as a, a long-term condition within your genetics, potentially that might be something to consider. Otherwise, for the other 90 plus percent of you, I recommend against exogenous ketones. And the reason being is that you're just getting the downstream impact or compound. Yes, you could get some enhancement of cognitive function, but you're not going to get the benefit of going through that metabolic shift of actually converting body fat as fuel. Um, you're not going to get the hormonal mechanistic changes, the enhancement of HGH or human growth hormone, which is the muscle sparing benefit as much. Um, and you're, you're not going to be supporting your body for a sustainable change. You're really just kind of starting with that lighter fluid, not teaching the body to do the work. So I like to teach the body to do the work first and foremost. Um, and generally speaking, also the body can become thrifty. And so it's not this idea of if something's awesome, we need the most of it ever. Um, and that's where there are some tricky research studies that look at like ketones um, and cancer and cancer cells being able to feed off of ketones. Um, right. So, I mean, there are thriftiness factors of um, survivalship of, of dysplasia and abnormal cell formation where they're, they could become thrifty to an excess of anything. So we really don't want to look at ketosis as a state of excess, the higher, the better, drive, drive, drive. And especially when we're looking at mood stability and we're looking at women that are cycling, for instance, menstruating, um, when values generally in the blood get above 2.5 in women, we can definitely see more of a reactive mode um, within the adrenals where we're in that HPA axis overdrive. And we get to see, uh, we start to see the decline of leptin levels. We get start to see at that time um, hormone and thyroid imbalance. So generally speaking, especially for women that are at closer to an ideal body weight um, within 5 to 10, 15 pounds of your goal weight, women, because don't be so hard on yourselves, you know, being between 0.4 to 1.2 is probably an ideal in the blood. Um, and, and I notice when I get above a 2.2, I've gotten into 2.8 at times, that that's where I get a little <laughs> bit like Jesse Spano. Um, <laughs> I'm a maniac. Like, I know Becky because I'm going to be writing those like, emails at 3 a.m. How about a carb cycle, Allie? <laughs> yeah, you know, I need to find my mellow, mellowing out. And um, I know I get that hanger mode too where leptin drops. I, I get a really short cycle. I might go only 24 days um, or miss my cycle. Hormones get wackadoodle. So for me, I do really well in the blood levels of being 0.4 to 1.2. And blood is my favorite assessment marker for, um, you know, consistency and feedback. Yes. Anything? And we can yes. put a link to the keto oh, yes. mojo for we sure. We will do that for sure. I think one thing we keep coming back to though is the need to like, <laughs> and, and maybe this is something our program kind of retrains us to do, but to listen to your body. And I think so many yes. people are like so disconnected that they don't know what intuitive eating or intuitively, I think you and I could intuitively know where our ketones are at on any given oh, yeah. day. And I think yeah. that's such a cool thing that our program offers is that you get back to that sense of intuition and connection with your body. So cool. Right. Right. Oh, for sure. So, so cool. Okay. So last little bit on keto and then we'll wrap it up with, I think our top three supplements. Um, let's just yeah. give like our top 
three or so real food, therapeutic focused abundance goals. So what are the things that um, within keto as medicine you feel are the most important to drive home and bring into the diet? So I think a big one that goes without saying is quality protein sourcing. So as you guys know, if you follow me on uh, Instagram and whatnot, we've been doing a lot from our local farmer's market. Um, I just featured where I did a bolognese with a mountain lion blend. It's not made for mountain lion, but that's what our grass-fed rancher calls it. You scared me for a sec. (laughs) Yeah, no, it's a combination of um, liver, kidney, and heart. Um, So yeah, so getting back to ancestral approaches of eating in balance, honoring the uh, animal protein, quality sources. So another thing you'll see is I'm doing a lot of butcher box proteins because their quality is just way beyond what you can get at Whole Foods. Um, It's a really great price point and it helps you to think outside the box, ha ha ha, of different cuts (laughs) and how to incorporate. Um, And so I'll definitely put a link to, uh, I have a code that you can get two free ribeyes and a pound of bacon and 10% off your first box. So you need to go order and check it out. Um, But quality, I think is the first thing I'd mentioned, quality sourcing and starting with whole real foods. So quality sourcing of proteins, getting a variety of cuts means getting bone broth, getting in collagen, considering incorporation of organs. Um, and ensuring that you're dealing with grass-fed, pasture-raised. And then um, looking at within that, uh, avoiding any processed food-like substances, which incorporates all non-caloric sweeteners. So remember when we talk about why I hate non-caloric sweeteners in that episode, (laughs) um, you know, we have to think of a whole food as, can you imagine it growing? Are all of its edible parts intact? What's been done to it since harvest? So thinking of all whole foods, how they fit and why, and that's the big connection of our program is, you know, if you're dealing with constipation, are you getting your two to three cups of leafy greens? First question. Are you incorporating nuts and seeds? Um, Are you getting enough B12? Um, Because B12 deficiency can drive uh, lack of the impulse that drives that bowel motility. Um, Are you getting enough electrolyte stability? So we really teach you to go through the whys of your symptoms of imbalance and intolerance. And we will provide you with food as medicine solutions and understanding how that solution works so that it can become interchangeable. And it's not just like this dumbed down one plus two equals three. Um, and so I think that that's the really big shift that you'll see is beyond a macros, you know, mastering approach of using a calculator and figuring that out, which we do provide. Um, we want to focus on really healing your body and understanding how food works as medicine and how food can be used to optimize your metabolism and your body's function. Awesome. And then let's round it out with just talking for a moment about supplements because supplements are just that they're meant to supplement a, you know, phenomenal, amazing diet that you'll be on when you're doing keto. Um, but what would you say are like yeah. the top three supplements for best outcomes that we see results with? Yeah. So one I want to jump on right away is the boost and burn. And this is one that our, we talked about Natalie and her story in the beginning. Um, she started right with the program, uh, incorporating the boost and burn and, um, definitely, and another one, um, another client of ours that shared her success of over 60 pounds of weight loss, Sandra, she was also doing keto prior to this. And um, starting the boost and burn was the, the biggest thing that really kicked up ketone production. So in again, instead of using exogenous ketones, 
I want your body to do the work. So the Boost and Burn supplement has D-ribose and L-carnitine. And L-carnitine drives this shuttle in the body um, called carnitine synthase shuttle. Um, And this is what shuttles fat into our mitochondria, supports our heart health, and enhances our uh, muscular function. Um, So it provides both an energy boost and a body fat boost burn and helps your body to produce ketones rather than giving ketones in the bloodstream. So we start this at one to two teaspoons a day. Um, and this can be taken on fasting mornings or non-fasting and um, works really beautifully to, to enhance ketone production. Another one that I would focus on, um, which is probably a bigger star of the show, is our Relax and Regulate powder. Um, and this is one that I know both Becky and I take. I've been taking for years. Um, Relax and Regulate can also help with breast milk production. Um, so interesting there because it has something in it called myo-inositol. Um, So inositol helps with cellular signaling. Inositol is a hormone stabilizer. It naturally has some anti-anxiety benefits and mood-enhancing influence on our neurotransmitters. And inositol helps with insulin sensitivity. So great for PCOS, great for um, anxiety, great for insomnia, great for relaxation. Um, This is a really good formula for kiddos as well as teens, adults. And the power player paired with myo-inositol is magnesium bisglycinate. And that's what makes this such a keto powerhouse is magnesium is one of the often depleted um, electrolytes. And magnesium bisglycinate is the form that is neuromuscularly available. So this is the most absorbable form. You don't want a water-soluble form of magnesium like magcitrate or one of those cheapo ones. You want to be using this bisglycinate form, and this is going to help with uh, tension in the skeletal skeletal tissue like the the traps, um, shoulders from our computer neck and shoulders, um, all the way down to our colon and helping with bowel regularity and signaling. Um, It doesn't itself cause loose stools, but it is great for neuromuscular relaxation, Uh, and also mood stability and hormone management and blood sugar regulation. So that's a big, big, big hitter. And then the third one I'll go into is our digestate enzyme. This has um, both HCL, hydrochloric acid, and it also has ox bile. So whether you have a gallbladder or you've had your gallbladder removed or you've dealt with gallstones or you just have a hard time tolerating the high-fat diet approach, This is going to be a really great tool to help your body to break down um, those fats. Um, It also is paired with DPP-4, which reduces the impact of casein and uh, gluten in your diet. So if you're dining out, it will protect you from any, um, you know, uh, what would it be called? cross-contamination or ingredients that you don't know of, and um, also has things like lactase to break down lactose and compounds to break down your vegetable fibers. Uh, So digestate is great to take uh, one to two capsules before meals and potentially even before your like keto coffee or tea to help with uh, making the fats less distressing to your system. And great for anyone who does have trouble digesting fats or is lacking a gallbladder. I think that's a huge question we get all the time. Can I do keto without a gallbladder? And the answer is yes, if you have digestate. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. (laughs) Awesome. Dare we talk about labs for a second? I think we can just put a link. So the the last thing we wanted to get with empowerment was, you know, labs to monitor. We often hear people once they're getting awesome outcomes saying, oh, I wish I had a baseline. We do talk about this in our program, but if you don't join the program, 
You can still purchase. It's called a Weight Loss Plus Basic or a Weight Loss Plus Panel. Um, it does incorporate all of the foundational assessment markers to look at insulin resistance, to look at blood sugar balance, to assess uh, precursors needed for ketone production like DHEA, vitamin uh, D regulation for immune function and inflammation with your CRP. And um, then you can also get some baseline markers on thyroid and um, lipoprotein particles in the lipids to really see kind of where your starting point is. Or if you've been doing keto on your own, you're not getting results, that might be a good place to start as far as a, a way to troubleshoot. Sure. So we'd say like baseline and between three and six months so that you don't get some of those crazy wonky values on your right. LDL that, you know, make your doctor exactly. put you on a statin or something like that. Um, right. So sure. sorry, not sorry, guys. This has been a really long and <laughs> jam-packed episode, but I really hope that this helps those of you who are on the fence about whether keto is something that you should consider. Um, and those of you who are already doing keto, I think we've given some really good tools to dig deeper and truly optimize your keto approach with food as medicine. Absolutely. So we hope again, last call to join us in our program. It's at AllieMillerRD.com backslash ketosis hyphen class grab your spot, come on in and say hello. And regardless, check out the website uh, shop where you will find our naturally nourished supplement line. You can also find podcast archives with all of our geeky references that we talked about today. And if you're loving the podcast, please pop over to iTunes and leave us a five-star review with a couple sentences of what you're loving listening to. Thanks so much for tuning in and for being a part of our food as medicine community. Thank you for listening to the Naturally Nourished podcast. Visit our blog at AllieMillerRD.com for recipes, wellness tips, and food as medicine meal plans. Connect with Allie and Becky at AllieMillerRD on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. Until next time, stay nourished and be well.